You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Blessed are you, Lord our God, our eternal Father and David's King. You have made our gladness greater and increased our joy by sending to dwell among us the wonderful Counselor, the Prince of Peace. Born of Mary, proclaimed to the shepherds, and acknowledged to the ends of the earth, your unconquered Son of righteousness destroys our darkness and establishes us in freedom. All glory in the highest be to you through Christ, the Son of your favour, in the anointing love of his Spirit, this day and forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We're going to jump into God's Word now, and if you're just visiting with us this morning, uh, what we've been doing in the lead up to Christmas um, is observing Advent. So the four Sundays leading up to Christmas are traditionally known as Advent, and we've learned over the last four weeks that Advent uh, comes from a Latin word which means coming, and so it refers to Jesus coming into human history uh, at Christmas time, so that's why we observe it in the in the weeks leading up to Christmas. But it also refers to Jesus' second coming. Um, that's coming in the future, some point in the future. Nobody knows when. Jesus said, not even he knew when he would be coming back. Only his Father in heaven. So, as we live this life as Christians, we understand that we're living between times, between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. And we've seen in the first week, we saw that that, that living between times is a, is a kind of a tense time. Um, in, on the one hand, we live this life in light of the fact that Jesus has come. We celebrate his birth this morning. We celebrate because it's good news. That's what the angel said to the shepherds, right? I have good news of great joy for all people. So it's good news, and that's why we celebrate it. And we live life in light of that good gift from God, but we also know that until Jesus comes again, things are never going to be perfect. You know, that, 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 the, the crackling on your pork today just won't be as crunchy as you want it to be, and that's because Jesus hasn't come back yet. Actually, the Bible promises that when Jesus comes back and he renews all things and he welcomes us into a new creation in which there is no suffering, sickness or death, right in that new creation, Isaiah says, we will enjoy the best meat and the best wine. All right. So even no matter how good it is today, it's not going to be as good as that. And that's what we look forward to. We look forward to Jesus' second advent. And so we have, in this series, we've, we've looked at the, the four great themes of Advent. These are traditional themes that the church focuses on in the, the four Sundays leading up to, to Christmas Day. So we've looked at um, hope, and we've looked at peace, and we've looked at joy, and now today we're going to look at love. And the reason that I put love last is because... I wanted to look at it on Christmas because at the very heart of Christmas is love. At the very heart of the gospel is love. At the very heart of God himself is love for his creatures. Love for the people that he's made in his image. Indeed, more than just us, but love for his whole world, his creation. 
That's why when Jesus comes again, he's not going to simply discard the world and, and burn up our bodies and we're not going to live in some kind of ethereal, you know, like um, some kind of weird, disembodied state. No, God is going to renew the world. He's going to recreate it to be all that he intended for it to be. So that's what we're looking forward to. Now, this morning, as we look at this theme of love, I want to do what we've been doing the last few weeks, which is just to, to look at both the first advent, Christmas Day, and the second advent, that is Jesus' second coming, and, and look at how those two events communicate to us that God loves us. And then I want to look at three ways that we can actually cultivate love in our experience, even though we live in an imperfect world. Even though we live in a world that's broken and fractured and suffers under pandemics and dictators and all kinds of rubbish, right? Even in light of all of that, how do we, in light of the first and the second coming of Jesus, how do we cultivate love? All right? That's where we're headed. So first of all, I want to look at the first advent. So this is Christmas Day and... Um, and And I want to look at how it communicates God's love for us. Okay, so what I want us to see from the beginning is that love was the motivating attribute of God in the first advent. In sending Jesus into the world, the thing that was motivating God to do that was love. So we see this in 1 John. So Jesus' best friend, John, he writes three letters to the church. And in 1 John, the first letter in, ver- in chapter 4, verse 9, he says, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. So here's what I know about Christmas. I know that for a lot of people, despite what you see in all at the advertising and Christmas movies and the facade of, you know, like even churches, what I know for a fact is that Christmas for a lot of people is a terrible time. It's really hard. I was talking to someone just two days ago who said, Christmas is the loneliest time of year for me. So he's not looking forward to Christmas. Like my kids this morning, they've been counting down the days for months, right? Not this guy. He was saying this is the worst time of year because all of his loneliness comes into stark relief, right? Everyone else is enjoying time together and I've got nobody. So he, people in that situation, in fact, probably all of us at some level are, 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 should be asking, how can we know that God loves us? I say this all the time. Don't take anything that I tell you for granted. Test everything that I say by God's word. That's trustworthy. What I'm saying, I don't know. Who knows? Test it by God's word. Now, in God's word, how do we know that God loves us? God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world. So the motivation behind the first advent, the motivation in God's heart in sending Jesus into the world was love. It was all about love. You want to get a picture of what it meant for the glorious son of God to come into human history, right? To be born 
to a poor peasant family in a shed took such humility on his behalf. The Prince of Heaven comes into the flesh. The Word became flesh, right? Dwelt among us in super humble circumstances. If you want to hear the way that Paul talks about this, the Apostle Paul writes this beautiful hymn in Philippians chapter 2. It's kind of a creed. It's, a, it's a, um, something that the church in the first century would say to remind themselves about the nature of God's humility in coming into human history. God humbled himself. Why? Because he loves us. He loves us. That, that's what was motivating him at the first advent. And so that 1 John 4 passage is really, really echoes another passage that the same guy wrote in his gospel. You know already what I'm going to say, right? John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Those two kind of go together, okay? 17 always gets left out. You need to put them together. This is what he says. John three sixteen to seventeen. For God so loved the, or the for God loved the world in this way. All right, that's what God so loved the world means. It's not like God so loved the world, right? No, he's saying God God so loved, right? He if you want to know how God loved the world, he loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And verse 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The motivating attribute of God at work in the first advent is not condemnation, but love. It's not condemnation, but recreation, restoration. Save the world through him. So I know this sounds really corny, and even as I, 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 when I had this thought, I was like, really, has it come to this? I've been in ministry for like 15 years, and I've become that guy, but just bear with me, because I think this is true, even though it's corny. Like, the first Christmas present that was ever given was not gold or frankincense or myrrh, right? The first present given at Christmas was Jesus. It was God giving his son to us. God loved the world in this way that he gave. It's a gift. That's why we celebrate Christmas, because of the gift that God has given us of his son, sent into the world, not to condemn us, but to save us. So that's the first advent, right? Now, what about the second one? It's easy for us to think about the first advent because we know about it. We have four really good historical documents that tell us about the first advent. The second advent is much more mysterious to us. It hasn't happened yet. And even when the Bible talks about it, it like, doesn't tell us too much about it. It's like that it wants to save some of the mystery there. It wants to heighten our anticipation of that which is yet to come. And even as I talk about the second advent, right? we've done this four weeks now, we've been talking about Jesus' second coming, right? anticipating his second coming, preparing for his second coming, but... It must have occurred to some of us, as it has to people really for the last 2,000 years, like, when? It's, it's been a couple of thousand years. Like, when is this thing happening? When is Jesus coming? 
particularly for people who are suffering, people who are like most of the Christians in the world, by the way, who are experiencing some level of persecution, who put in some level of threat because of their faith, those people are thinking, when? People who today are suffering from terminal illness are saying, when? People from broken families, people who are being abused, right? All of these people, and for all of the last 2,000 years, have been saying, when? We want the new earth. This one sucks. That's what people have said for 2,000 years. When? And even like in the first hundred years after Jesus said he was going to come back and prepare a place for us, John chapter 14, even in the, in the first hundred years after that, Peter, his friend Peter, the apostle Peter, was anticipating this question in his own congregation. So you got this, this attempt by Peter to explain what was going on in 2 Peter Chapter 3, this is what he says. Dear friends, don't overlook this fact, this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So Peter says, that's why... Jesus hasn't come back yet. It's because he's patient. It's because he is, he is so wanting everyone to turn to him, to receive the good news, right? To receive, as John said in chapter 3, eternal life. That's why he's delaying. So not, not only is the first coming of Jesus motivated by love, but his second coming and even the, the timing of that second coming is motivated by love. He's waiting because he wants you to trust him, to receive the good news. Every car that's driving past now, he's wanting everyone out there to hear and receive his love. In the words of John 3, he doesn't want anyone to perish but all to receive eternal life. That's what's motivating his delay in coming again. So I've seen from John's perspective, one of Jesus' three best friends, from his perspective we've seen the motivating factor behind Jesus' first coming. And we also have from John this vision of the second coming. John writes this vision that God gives him where he kind of, God just opens up the windows of heaven to him and he sees a little bit of what's going on in the throne room of God. It's called the book of Revelation. It's the last one in your Bible. And in it, John has this, this vision of the second advent. He has this vision of Jesus' return. And in it, he just sees, just replete, right? Just, just woven throughout it, he sees the fatherly love of God at work. That great event that, which is yet to come, which, by the way, might come before you finish dessert today, right? It, it may, and, and, and at the same time, it may be 10,000 years from now. For God, one day is like a 1,000, a 1,000 like one, right? But in that coming, that second coming, John just sees love, 
love woven throughout it. So let me just read this a little picture of the second coming according to John. In Revelation chapter 21, this is what he says it's like. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Sea being representative of chaos, darkness and Right, everything that the people of Israel feared was in the sea. So the, the symbology here, the images of chaos being done away with. And I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down of, out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. How do we know God loves us? He sends his son into the world to save us. How do we know that God loves us? His plan is to inaugurate a new heavens and new earth in which death, crying, and pain will be no more. And like a loving father, he will wipe every tear from our eyes. That's how we know God loves us. It's just woven throughout the first and the second coming of Jesus. Now, how in light of that fact, right, knowing that we live between those two events, being reassured that God loves us and has a plan for us, how do we then in this life cultivate love? I've got three ideas. You guys have more, so make sure you share them afterwards. Number one. Every morning, every morning? Yeah, every morning. Take time to meditate on and thank God for his unconditional love for you. So here's how I know. Here's here's what I know, right? This is a guarantee. I guarantee that you will experience more of God's love for you and exhibit more love for other people if the first thing in the morning you resist this. That, oh, just got to, we're like addicts, just got to hit that button. Resist that. I'm just saying just for a little bit. You can get to it, but just for a little bit. Resist that and instead meditate on God's love for you. Meditate just means to dwell on something, right? Regularly call your attention back to something. So I did a little experiment at the start of the year. I started every morning going through... Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, 
I shall not be in want. Right? And to go through that, and I just did a line and then thought about it. A line and then thought about it. And over time, I managed to memorize it so I could just lay there in bed without even opening my eyes and go through that. And my real world, I don't mean just the preacher saying this because it sounds good, right? I mean my actual, legitimate experience of God's love heightened. It was richer. It was more vibrant. The colors were stronger, right? Do you understand what I mean? My real world experience of God's love was boosted by that. So just do that. Easy. I know other people who have done it with the Lord's Prayer. I know other people who have done it through prayers they've written themselves or just reminders of who they are, their identity in Jesus. Right? You could do it a thousand different ways, but just before you reach for that phone, I'm talking like five minutes. Every morning, take time to meditate on and thank God for his unconditional love for you. This isn't even like a religious duty that you're just doing because God's going to hit you over the head if you don't. I'm talking about do this for you. Do this out of self-interest. And as you experience more of God's love, it will benefit those around you. Yeah. All right, number two. Here's a a fact. Christmas can be a time of loneliness, anxiety, and depression for many people, many more than we would realize. So during the season, ask God to increase your sense of hope and peace and joy and love as you meditate on his promises in Scripture. The church, the historical church, the early church, did us a great favour by just drawing up these four simple themes. You might come from church traditions where they have a candle, for a different candle for this through Advent, right? You light the hope candle and the peace candle, the joy and the love candle. There are different ways of getting us to focus on these things. But I'm saying as you focus on those four things... And ask God to minister to you in that way. Not only will your experience of anxiety and loneliness and depression and just outright exhaustion, because Christmas is manic, right? All of those things will diminish, but you will be better be able to minister to people around you. Let me just for the 10,000th time kill the myth that I'm the minister of this church. According to the New Testament, you're the ministers of this church. And so our job in being ministers is to minister God's love to others. Christmas can be a time of loneliness and anxiety and depression. Christmas can be also a great time of narcissism. A great time of selfishness. And so asking God to enable you to minister to others will actually set you free from selfishness, self-involvement, self-obsession. Now, here's the thing. If you are the one who is anxious and depressed and lonely, 
there's a problem with what I've just said because in those times, I tell, tell you from bitter experience, it's almost impossible apart from a miracle to think I should dwell on God's promises today. Things are so dark. It's very difficult to have that thought for yourself. So there's where the ministers come in, right? There's where the ministers come in and, and, and come alongside someone who's in the dark and, and, sh- and, and are able to shine a light on that dark place with the promises of God. And I'm saying that is your role even if the person that you're ministering to rejects it. I've been in a place before where things have been so dark that someone has come to me with a promise from God and I've said, I know that that's true for everyone in the world except me. So I've rejected it. Uh, like, I don't need to hear that. It just reminds me of how lost I am, right? And I would say, even having had that experience, keep doing it because it does get through. It does. God works even through that darkness with his promises. Yeah. I love what uh, on our Facebook group, which you can join if you're on Facebook, you can find our group. It's, it's where we post stuff for the congregation. Recently, Dave McDonough, member of our congregation, just asked, like, what are the promises of God? Chuck one in the comments. And just being able to read through those things given by others, it can't help but encourage you to read those things. So be that person. You know that you, can, you, don't, you don't have to do it on Facebook. You can just do it with your mouth. It's amazing. You can just say to someone, let me remind you of this great promise from God that I was thinking about today. Awesome. All right, so that's one and two. What about the third one, final one? Um, look for opportunities to live out God's love. Visit a nursing home or a hospital. Seek out people who might otherwise feel forgotten, overlooked, or unloved. So you see a theme here? This is the theme whenever we talk about God's love for us, it absolutely, necessarily, irrevocably, undeniably goes in and then pours out. And the great thing is as you pour out God's love for others, he just keeps topping it up. It's like Christmas with your wine glass, right? It just keeps, just keeps being refilled. Is that just me? No, I don't even drink wine. I don't know why I said that. Anyway, as you're poured into, the purpose of you being poured into is to pour out to others. I was so, I just, I was so overjoyed to hear Renee tell me the other day how she and the kids went with the women's group uh, from our church to a nursing home just the other day and were singing carols for people in that nursing home. People who have even more than usual recently felt lonely and disconnected. And at one level, that's profound, like a profound act of love going out of their way, costly to them, right? But on the other hand, how easy. Little things like that can make a huge difference to people. And if you, in that moment, visiting a nursing home or even just going next door and, I don't know, saying Merry Christmas or inviting someone over for a meal, in that moment, if you can say, give the explanation, I am just pouring out the love that God has poured into me, then people are blessed and God gets the glory, which is the whole point. Let me leave you with a couple of passages that came to mind as I thought about this. 
this way of living out God's love for us. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 to 8. He says, the end of all things is at hand, right? So both of these are second Advent passages. In light of the fact that Jesus is on the doorstep, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. I love that. He just knows that we're broken people. He looks at me and he knows that I have done a dozen things already to hurt the people around me. And the reassurance for me is that actually if I turn away from that broken way of living and live out God's love for me and for others, it covers a multitude of sins. That doesn't mean that I get forgiven because I do good things and it doesn't mean that I don't have to address the things that I've done wrong, but just that love has this way of overcoming darkness. It has a way of mending relationships. And in the midst of God's love, sinful activity is less likely to crop up. Last one, Hebrews chapter 10. And this is a little congratulations to you guys for coming together this morning. He says, let us consider now how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, the second advent, drawing near. So the more and more closer every day, every minute, every second that we get to that second advent, he's saying, stir one another up to love. Don't provoke one another to hate one another. Provoke one another to love and good deeds, good works. Encourage one another, meet with one another. And as we do that, God's love not only increases in us, but flows out to those around us. Let me pray for us. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for this Advent season. Thank you for this opportunity to examine what it is to live in the now and not yet, to live between Advents. And I thank you for the opportunity to dwell on, to meditate on those great Advent themes of hope and joy and peace and love. This morning, I ask that you would pour those things out into our hearts. Help us to leave here more full of those things than when we arrived. Give us opportunities today and in the days and weeks to come to demonstrate for others hope, joy and peace and love. Bless us, Lord. Bless us now as we stand together and we sing your praises. Bless us as we go out from here. In Jesus' name. Amen.